Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum where experts provide clear, data-driven insight into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode, we will talk about the goal of AAF, why we are doing this podcast, and a little bit about AAF's Green New Deal study. Since this is our first ever episode, we thought it would be a good idea to have on the president of AAF, Douglas Holtzaken, as our leadoff hitter. So with that, Doug, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Tell us, what is AAF? Give us a brief introduction. AAF, the American Action Forum, is on paper a 501c3 uh, social welfare organization. It's a think tank. Uh, there are lots of think tanks in Washington that explore policy ideas and educate on policy ideas. AF's a little bit different because I wanted to have a place that commented in real time. As things were happening in the Congress, in the agencies, ideas were being debated, I wanted to have an organization that could weigh in on behalf of good policy, do it in English to non-specialists. Mm-hmm. I think we found with you know the rise of digital media and uh, you know the 24 hours news cycle that being quick and responsive in these policy areas is almost really essential. Uh, I thought it was essential 10 years ago when we yeah. started this. I'd been on the McCain campaign. Mm-hmm. I was uh, dismayed by how slowly some of the what I perceived as allies moved. And so when I came out, I had the desire to have a place that moved quickly, that weighed in in real time. And I had a much keener appreciation of the importance of communications. And, and that was built into the design of AAF. Mm-hmm. So just to get a little bit more specific about the mission of AAF, you know, you're looking at um, economic and fiscal policy mostly. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I I wanted to cover the waterfront of domestic and economic policy issues. Mm -hmm. And so we do all sorts of things, labor markets, technologies, regulation, healthcare, education, immigration, trade, you name it. We want to be able to comment on what's going on. Uh, I wanted this to be essentially a campaign policy shop where the candidate was our ideas about good policy. And so that's what we try to do. Mm -hmm. That's really the goal of this podcast. We want people to hear from our experts in a new way. Indeed, I'm sitting in this chair because a long time ago, I decided that I shouldn't care how the research got out, Mm -hmm. that the communications folks would know far better than I would the best way to get it out. So Mm -hmm. If I have to sit in this chair and do a podcast, to <laughs> do a podcast. That, yeah. That's the best way. And we appreciate you being here. Now let's talk about putting that mission into practice. One recent AAF study that got a lot of attention is the cost estimate of the Green New Deal. Tell us, what was your goal in trying to put a dollar figure on this bill? Well, first of all, the Green New Deal was something lots of people were talking about. So in the spirit of let's comment on the things that are relevant, it seemed important to understand the Green New Deal. Uh, it had been written down in the form of both House and Senate resolutions. So there was something to look at, something to read, something to evaluate. And if you if you read it, it's 14 pages long. It's not that hard to read. You'll find that it's about having a clean environment, universal health care, uh, jobs, um, a home, food security. So it's hard to oppose any of those things. I think most Americans are in favor of those. So the question becomes, is this the best way to get them? And that means you have to start thinking about what does it cost? And so the main goal was to say, is the Green New Deal a a genuinely big deal? That is, is it trillions of dollars? Or is it a really interesting idea that's maybe millions of dollars? Well, Mm -hmm. it's not tens of millions or tens of billions. It's tens of trillions of dollars. And that was the real objective of the piece. Mm -hmm. I know, like, for all of the different proposals in it, you put a dollar figure on those individual proposals to give people an idea 
about those specifics. I'm a big specs. believer that numbers are the currency of the realm in mm-hmm. Washington policy discussions. <laughs> you have to put a number on something. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my hidden motto is that once you have a number, then you can have a fight. Without a number, yeah, we're all right. just just talking. So get a number and then and that gets people's attention and then ask the question why is the number so big or so mm-hmm. small whatever it might be so that you can better understand the policy. Absolutely. People need to understand costs. Yeah, I think that it's important to be good curators for example of the taxpayers money. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of the the philosophy of of the place, but it's also the best way to educate because if you just say to people, you know, a national electricity grid run entirely by renewables, never been done before, sort of hard. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about you know electromagnetism for a second? It's over. Right. No one's going to pay attention. You say, they want to spend $6 trillion to do this. People pay attention. Then you get to talk about the, those other issues, which are real. As I noted, your study received a lot of attention, both positive and critical. Uh, one story even yep. went so far as to call your estimate a bogus number. Um, where does this cr- critique of, of the study go wrong? So I don't think there's been anyone who seriously critiqued the methods we used. Like I, I haven't seen anyone say they got this part wrong. They don't understand the electricity market, for example. Um, so it's something else. It's not a genuine critique. And, and one thing you can always do is just try to disqualify the messenger. They don't like the message, then disqualify it. Don't, they were say, what they're saying is don't even read it because it's, quote, bogus. And, and that's just a technique, and it's not a real criticism. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine that comes with the territory of working in the, in the public policy debate. Yeah, I, I always tell people that if, if you want to be a policy person in this environment, A, get used to losing. You lose all the time and, and don't have any feelings because, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, everything comes your way. Right, right. So moving the discussion back to a broader discussion of AAF, you're a former Congressional Budget Office director, uh, so you're not exactly new to legis- estimating costs of legislative proposals. How does AAF, what you do here at AAF, compare to what you did at the Congressional Budget Office? Um, the CBO was created by Congress to serve a very particular advisory function. It works for the Congress, and mm-hmm. and it has a mandate to deliver the estimate of the federal budget cost of bills that are being considered for passage. That's its primary function. It's also asked by Congress to write studies to weigh in on uh, particular issues. But everything in CBO is directed toward the Congress and at the request of the Congress. You work for them. I always thought of it as being a consulting firm with a single client, and you had to get that client ready. Uh, we have a, a slightly different mission at AAF because we are here to educate the public broadly. And an important part of that pop public might be congressional staff, members, senators, uh, so that they understand the policy issues. But we get to pick the topics we work on. We get to uh, sort of look more broadly than just federal budget cost. Right? This mm-hmm. might have a tiny federal budget cost, but have very important uh, economic implications. All of that's within our purview. Right. So it's similar in some ways, but it gives you more freedom to talk about the issues you want to talk about. Yes, but I, I do think one of the things that I thought a lot about when I set it up was it, you can't just have an opinion shop. You can't just be uh, a, driven by an ideology. It is You have an obligation if you're going to educate and ultimately convince people uh, to provide facts on the ground. And we try to keep our work infused with those facts. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the Green New Deal study for just a moment, how does what you did with that proposal exemplify what you were hoping to accomplish here at AAF? Uh, it, it was something that was poorly understood. Uh, I don't think most people could have um, identified the components of what was in a Green New Deal resolution. Uh, it was about 
the facts. It was these these are policy proposals. They include universal health care, guaranteed jobs, uh, uh, green electricity gr- grid, zero emissions transportation networks. So these were policy proposals. Most of the talk had been about the personality of the people who put it together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the policies. wasn't about the facts. So I thought we focused it on the right things. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, shows that you know we contributed in the debate in a positive way. Yes. Would you say that? Yes, yeah. I would say that. Uh, and as a matter of the way I think about this, we, we got there first. So now when people think about the Green New Deal, they're going to have to think about how much it costs. We have attached mm-hmm. a, a, a big dollar cost to it, and that's appropriate because that now sets the stage for why does it cost so much? Could we do it differently and have it cost less? And, and that's the right discussion to mm-hmm. have because as I said before – I don't think anyone contests the goals. I mean, you want to have a clean environment. You want to have health insurance. You want to have jobs. I mean, all that, yeah. those are good things. The question is, how do you get there? Right, right. I think you're fond of saying, but at what cost? Yeah, but um, at what cost? Uh, so what other examples of where AAF has moved the debate are out there? Uh, I think the other moment that stands out to me uh, was uh, we mobilized a, a large coalition of people to kill a proposed rulemaking by the Department of Health and Human Services on the Medicare Part D program. That's the the insurance prescription drug costs for seniors. Um, I was at the White House when Part D began to get invented. I was at CBO when it was passed. I'm, I've always told people I like it more than my children, I'm, so I'm very protective of the Part <laughs> D program. And uh, this, this proposed rule came out that was, in fact, going to be damaging to the competitive underpinnings that have made that program come in under budget cost as projected by me. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's done way better even than we thought and has very high satisfaction rank right. for seniors. So this is our best entitlement. seems to me the, the answer should be don't damage it. Uh, the regulatory folks were, were doing what they do, which is reading all the proposed regs as they came out and they flagged this. It was an 800-page proposed rule. I never would have read it. Most mortals never would have even known of its existence, but they caught it. And they said, this actually looks like a big deal. And the, the health folks and I looked at it and it was a big deal. It came out on a Friday at like four o'clock and no one knew about it. And so we immediately started working on it started talking about it, and uh, before uh, two weeks were up, there was a large coalition that was the manufacturers of of prescription drugs, the consumers of prescription drugs, and basically every other part of the drug sector saying, this is a bad idea, Right, and and the rule went away. Putting attention on bad ideas seems to be almost essential to to work here in in D.C. You know, killing bad ideas is 95% of what policy people do in D.C., you know, it's it's avoiding value subtracted. Very few people get up one day, have an idea of a really good uh, policy, and then get it actually done. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, a relatively rare event. Right. I, I think, and you also mentioned our um, our regulations folks and the work that they do. I think that w- they have one of the best products here in D.C. for tracking all those regulations with Reg Rodeo. Fantastic uh, piece of work. I mean, it it does something which is, at some level, so simple that you wonder why it wasn't done before. You just read every regulation as it is finalized, ask the question, what did the agency say about the cost of complying with this regulation? What did the agency say about the the amount of time you have to spend filling out paperwork because of this regulation? Write those numbers down and add them up. Add them up for the agency. Add them up for a piece of legislation. Add them up by any way you want, but keep track of the cost of the regulatory state. It's been very, very powerful uh, in understanding what's going on out there in the regulatory world. Mm-hmm. So everyone should check it out. Um, what opportunities do you see for AAF in the coming years? 
I think the opportunities uh, remain the same. Uh, uh, the, the ideas will be different, the discussions will be different, but uh, they will they will come out of three main sources. Uh, there will be legislative activity, which uh, when discussing things which will rule the lives of Americans should be part of the education. They'll be coming out of the agencies in the form of regulations. That's an increasingly visible part of American life, and so we, we pay attention to that. And then there's always campaigns. Uh, campaigns are the best opportunity for people to make the case for their policies. They, they are the teachable moments. People pay attention to campaigns in ways that, that nothing else compares to. And as you mentioned, your back, in your background, you did some of this previously on a campaign, so you're very familiar with. Yeah, I was the policy director uh, on the John McCain presidential campaign, 2007-2008. Uh, I did that because I had never been on a campaign before. Had I known, never would have done that. <laughs> but, um, but I learned an enormous amount. It was, it was mm-hmm. uh, a different look at the life of of policy in a political context. And certainly one of the things I learned is the least liked person on the presidential campaign is the policy guy. (laughs) Because you're the guy who says, well, that's not true. Or you can't say that. And all the political guys just want you out of the room. (laughs) But uh, if you've got the right candidate, they will back the policy people. And, And that's where I learned a lot about how hard it is to communicate policy ideas and why it's important to distill things down, be clear and crisp. That's where I learned um, about the the value of doing the education. I was stunned to find out how little Americans knew about a lot of things. And so it gave me sort of a renewed belief in the mission of AAF because I watched it in action. And no surprise, my favorite morning read is The Daily Dish, a 7 a.m. email newsletter that, among other things, includes your economics column. So first, what is The Daily Dish? Uh, the Daily Dish, I just as I sit here and think about it, the Daily Dish is, is really a good reflection of the the, the maturity now of, of AAF. When it started, it was the morning email, like everyone had a morning email, but it was essentially me getting up at five o'clock and um, opining on whatever uh, was going on, and I, it was largely therapy. I was upset with what was going on, and uh, it is now an organizational product. It's far less uh, my product. We had just started into early 2010. Um, this is early in the Obama administration. I had some f- fairly sharp policy disagreements with with the direction of the the Obama administration, um, and and I knew those policies inside now. Remember, I had spent a lot of time campaigning against them, and I thought a lot of angles of analysis were being missed by the the sort of things I saw in newspapers and on other uh, sites. So I, I wanted to get that out somehow. And so that's really where it began. It provides uh, anyone who gets it with a good look at what things are important to read, what are the, the sort of fun facts that you'd like to know about policy, uh, you know, the, the economic section where we uh, talk about some of the policy issues. But it's really a good introduction into, into today in policy in D.C. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like most about it is it's generally always current. You know, it's something that you might not have been paying attention to. So like if you know, a report came out or something of that nature comes out, you write about it. Sometimes it's both positive and also, as you mentioned, negative, batting down some bad ideas. Uh, unlike most morning emails with think tanks, um, you sometimes get relatively unvarnished Doug, uh, and then that's a, that's an interesting moment. Uh, and occasionally you get poetry, so why yeah. not? <laughs> oh, the poetry days are generally <laughs> my favorite, but you know, I do like getting the analysis as well. And I can also tell you that uh, I very much enjoy seeing the first draft of some of your more uh, aggressive uh, <laughs> economics. 
Uh, yes, my, my capacity to stay out of jail is, is largely reinforced by the staff. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> How do you decide what to write about? Uh, like all people who write regularly, there's a, a variety of inspirations. I mean, sometimes something just catches my eye and, and I either really like it or really don't. And, and you know, it, it writes itself then. That, mm. that's Those are the easy ones. Sometimes it's, well, you know, it's time to talk about this because it's up. Like, you know, they're going to be doing budget resolutions. Let's let's review the budget situation uh, so that the, the sort of topics driven by the, the calendar somewhere in D.C. needs to be discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, it, we're dead in the water. Nothing's happening. And I'm at a loss. And and then I wander around the floor saying, hey, anyone got an idea what I should write in the dish? <laughs> And that has a pretty high success rate most of the time. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there are 20-odd uh, people at, at AAF. They're smart. They're informed. And if you take the time to ask, you'll get good advice. Mm-hmm. And luckily, we'll be having all of them on here at some point to to hear directly from them. Now, anybody who is a regular reader of The Daily Dish knows that, as you mentioned before, sometimes they get poetry. <laughs> and then also... And I don't know how that started. I really don't. There was a day somewhere back there. um, We'll have to search the archives, figure Mm -hmm. out the first day I did this, where (laughs) a a poem simply wrote itself about a policy issue. And it was probably a limerick. Mm -hmm. I've since done haikus. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it seemed like the best way to get someone's attention and to Mm -hmm. make a point. And so it really goes back to the same thing. I, I don't have a stake in the form of communication. The point is to educate on something. Mm-hmm. And if a poetry gets everyone to sort of stop and go, wait, why is Holtzakin writing poetry? Right. Fine. I've got their attention. Yeah. So, I mean, that's half the battle. <laughs> yes. You don't get onto the field unless you get their attention. Um, the other thing that people know about you by reading The Daily Dish is your love of Twizzlers. And I just want to know what's up with Twizzlers. Um, you often explain complicated I, economic policy. I, I live for a good chunk of my adult life on Diet Coke and Twizzlers, and um, uh, th- there's never been a member of the medical profession who thought that was a good idea, <laughs> but I did do it. Uh, I love Twizzlers. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I can't even explain why I, they're the right taste <laughs> for me. Um, they fill you up. Uh, they're portable. Uh, they can be eaten at any meal, and so, um, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I just have a big fondness of Twizzlers, and again, if you explain something using Twizzlers, you can explain something using anything. So Twizzlers are a good way for to make sure I actually understand it and can explain it. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for today. So thank you, Doug, for taking the time to uh, come down to our studio and record this podcast. My pleasure. I wish you the best. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. I'd also like to encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes um, from this episode and also follow us on social media to hear more about AAF.